Welcome everyone to another episode of the NBA Podcast. I'm Brian Toporic, and today we are going to talk about rookie scale extensions, which players should and should not sign them from the 2016 draft class. Before we get into that, a reminder that you can follow us on Twitter at the NBA Pod. In our bio, you can find our Twitter handles, so give us a follow as well. You can also find us on iTunes and wherever else podcasts are found. On iTunes, please subscribe, download, leave some five-star reviews. We're now being hosted on Spreaker, so check them out on Twitter at Spreaker. Joining me today, as always, is my very stable genius of a co-host, Morton Jensen. How's it going, Mort? It's going well, Brian. For once, my eye is okay and I don't have any crazy-ass stories to tell. <laughs> well, you didn't spark an international conflict with a tweet? Not this week. <laughs> then you're doing better than Daryl Morey. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I, I hate the fact that it's Maury that's being looked at as him sparking it. I mean, right. he just uttered an opinion, but I totally get where you're coming from. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. So we're going to talk about this briefly, but we want to see how this situation plays out before really delving into it. We're still very much in the middle of it. Um, that said, like, honestly, I've been traveling a bunch lately, especially, you know, like I, I drove to D.C. all day Sunday. Um so I've been very offline throughout most of this and just don't really have a very informed take. And I think it's okay to admit that sometimes, that we don't necessarily need a strong opinion on everything. So I just want to see what happens. You know, like Adam Silver released a pretty strong statement today in favor of free speech, which is great, and uh, emphasized the league's stance on, you know, they're not going to restrict their employees from saying what they believe, which is right. a very reasonable <laughs> platform. Um, but more, do you have anything to add on on this whole China debacle before we get into actual basketball? I mean, I, I think we also have to recognize that this is going to be a major case uh, moving forward. And we don't know whether it's going to span days, weeks, or months, or whatever. But this is going to fill a lot in a lot of columns and podcasts and articles. This is going to be a big, big topic for a long time. And it's ultimately also going to you know, be the next level of Adam Silver in some respects. Because you know, he's never really had to deal with something as controversial as this. Like the Donald Sterling situation, I don't even think that was controversial. That was just right. a slam dunk in terms of how stupid he was and <laughs> how it was handled. I mean... You know, Silver just came hard, came down hard and fixed everything and, and was completely in charge of everything right off the bat, which was great. Um, uh, and I think it's weird that people are kind of circling in on Adam Silver in regards to, you know, what he's saying uh, about this situation because he still works for the owners. And I think we need to kind of put that into context and perspective. Like, it's not Adam Silver going rogue, speaking on behalf of the NBA, like, in mm -hmm. terms of his own opinion or him deciding over the NBA. Like, he has 30 bosses. Right. And I think we need to acknowledge that. The, the, the teams do not work for the NBA. It's the other way around. Yeah. Very, very true. And, yeah, so we'll see how the situation develops. I mean, one of the interesting side plots is the potential effect it could have on next summer's salary cap. Uh, because you know, there it sounds like Silver said there's already been a enormous financial impact. Now there are threats to, or they've already said they're not going to 
air preseason games in China. Um, we'll see what happens with the regular season. I know the one big network broke off their deal with the Rockets, so that would have a big impact on the NBA's bottom line, which in turn would affect the salary cap for next summer. Again, it's super early. We're not going to speculate on how many millions of dollars it will shave off. That will come in time and we'll react to it in time, but we wanted to address it off the bat just to, you know, we are aware that it is happening, but we're going to let this thing breathe before really going deep on it. And don't worry, China hasn't paid us off. (laughs) Yet. Not yet, yes. Yeah. In the meantime, more don't we even did... joke about that. <laughs> I know. Our mentions are going to be trash afterwards. <laughs> uh, in the meantime, we do have one piece of news to discuss before we get into possible rookie scale extensions, and it's with the Toronto Raptors, who have they came out Monday and agreed to a one-year, thirty-one million dollar contract extension with Kyle Lowry, taking him out of next summer's free agent class and. You know, reducing some of the uncertainty that we've been alluding to throughout the summer because they had Lowry, uh, Gasol, Ibaka, Fred Van Vliet all set to become free agents next mm-hmm. summer. Now you at least know, all right, Kyle Lowry's with us in theory, or at least he's under contract now through the 2020-2021 season. So what do you think of the deal, Mort? I like it. So, so I actually wrote a piece about the Raptors on Forbes last month, and they had so many opportunities uh, after losing Kawhi, not that that was preferable in any way, but it just opened up so many opportunities for them having you know three major expiring contracts in in Lowry and Gasol and Ibaka, and one of those options were you can also decide to actually stay competitive not only this year but next year as well. Mm-hmm. Now they have Lowry under contract for this season and next season. Maybe we see similar deals happen with Gasol and, and Ibaka, like. We don't know yet. In in this week or, or next week, something could be announced. You don't know. Uh, and, and basically just prolonging their competitiveness into 2020, uh, yeah, 2020, 2021. That's very difficult to say. We need to do it differently. Um, <laughs> because they are going to be free agency players in 2021, obviously. Right. So mm-hmm. th- that's why he was signed to one year and not two or three or whatever. And I've seen a lot of people on Twitter react to the, that news like, Oh, this is not going to improve his his trade value. I don't think they signed him with the mindset of necessarily trading him. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't see the reason for that. If they didn't want to keep him around, they could flip him right now as an expiring contract. Like there there wasn't really any incentive to do it outside of him necessarily saying, "Hey, I want some money or I'm gone," which you'll touch on briefly. Right. But for them, they get a. Very, very good point guard back in the fold for another year. And I kind of like their whole setup because let's agree on one thing here. Even though they lost Kawhi, they're still going to be competitive. And would you as a free agent look at them in 2021? Let's like If they've gone to the playoffs twice in a row after winning the championship, would you look at them and think, oh, they're more appealing because they're winning? Or would you look at them? If they've gone to through two losing season and go, oh, I'm interested in going to a team that's won like 25 games. <laughs> right. I think option one would always be preferable. Yes. So they're staying competitive ultimately to entice free agents. I, I, I like what they're doing. Yeah. And I don't know that it necessarily hurts his trade value because I think there's something to be said about having a guy. I know it's a lot of money for a guy who's going to be, I think, 34 at mm. the end of that deal. And I, I get it. He's probably not going to be worth that much money. But 
in theory, the salary cap is going to go up next year, so that will help mitigate some of the damage. He's earning less next year than he will be this year, and you know we've been alluding to it, and we're going to continue to alluding alluding to it because now he's off of the free agent market, and he was supposed to be one of the few guys who is actually good and available. Like right. next year's free agent class sucks, so there's just not going to be as much player movement, not nearly as much as what we saw this summer. If you're looking for that. Fast forward to 2021, when basically every big name becomes a free agent. Um, Lowry will now join that class, which may hurt his chances of getting a mega deal. Um, Then again, he was going to be in his mid-30s. He was not going to get another mega deal, probably. Right. He's going to be closer to dust at that point. (laughs) Right, exactly. But, I mean, it it gives the Raptors now a nice two-year window in theory, they could still trade him this year. I believe they're allowed to still do that, but they can also trade him next year now. And it just removes some of the that uncertainty with having so many guys set to become free agents. Like you, you know, that was one of the big questions uh, heading into the season: was is the Raptors team that will enter the season going to be the same Raptors team after the trade deadline? Given how many people are going to become free agents, like does Masai Ujiri? decide you know what yeah we could be the sixth seed but let's we don't want to lose all of these players for nothing so this at least gives them a bit more of a window to work with in which they don't have to trade Kyle Lowry come December 15th if they're off to a slow start or even if they're you know competitive and in line for a playoff berth they don't have to decide between let's make the playoffs and risk losing Lowry for nothing versus okay, let's trade Lowry, probably miss the playoffs, but at least we got something back for him. So, yeah, I'm with you. I like the deal, too. I think it's beneficial for both sides. Lowry was not going to get $30 million in the free agent market next summer, most likely. So, good for him. And good for the Raptors to give themselves a little bit of stability heading into this transition year. I do wonder, though. I I mean, just, it's a one-year contract, and I have to imagine, you know, Lowry's agent and Masai Ujiri just sitting there banging out the details. 31, why is such an odd number? <laughs> I do not know. I like, was, was that really the breaking point? Yeah. It was like, uh, we're we're offering 30. That's a clear, it's a round number. No, 31. <laughs> right. Like, that's, yeah. Right. Uh, yeah, I do not know. But an interesting subplot of this is that so Michael Grange of Sportsnet after this came out reported that if the Raptors were not going to give him an extension he was prepared to hold out and try and force a deal to a destination of his choosing rather than allow the club to control the timing so while we may at least at first have thought oh this is just the Raptors being altruistic yeah it might (laughs) they might have been saving themselves from a giant headache come December anyway don't you have to be you know, Anthony Davis or something to do that? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe that will. Maybe he will have set the stage for more of those horrible, like trade me or I'm gonna fake an injury type situations. Hopefully not. Yeah, I mean that that would be hilarious though when it came to like 32 year old point guards <laughs> yeah, right. sitting out. Right. Okay. Yeah. We, we just lost Kawhi. Like. Yeah, we're good. We're not going to be great. So you're sitting out is only going to help our, our you know, our <laughs> our draft pick situation, if anything. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Well, since we're on the Raptors board, let's go into rookie scale extensions 
We talked about this guy already in our Atlantic division preview, mm-hmm. so we don't need to go too deep into him. But Pascal Siakam um, is probably, if, if we're talking about you know anyone who's going to sign a max contract extension this fall, he is the only guy who I think even has a remote chance of doing so. Right. Um, and according to Shamsharania of The Athletic, he is seeking a maximum contract extension. Um, otherwise, he's preparing for a 2020 free agency market that would have him as a top player available. Um, we said it at the time. I think that Jamal Murray max is about the worst thing that could have happened to the Raptors just because Pascal Siakam can then go to the Raptors and say, look, I'm better than Jamal Murray right now, and I just contributed as the number two player to a championship team. Right. If that guy's getting the max, I absolutely deserve it. And, Mort, I know you were pro-max extension um, now, but... Well, with caveats. Yeah. Do you, Has your thinking changed at all? No, no, no. I, I Look, here's the thing. I think that they should do it if he shows any signs of being frustrated about not getting it. Like, we saw how it affected both Kawhi and, and Gordon Hayward back in the day. Mm-hmm. Like, they did not appreciate going into, you know, restricted free agency. You could then argue at that point in time, Gordon Hayward, not, or, you know, he was not necessarily a max caliber player. Mm-hmm. Kawhi on the hand was. And for the fact that he went into restricted free agency, that kind of annoyed him so you also have to take the players needs and asks into consideration here i think because would you rather risk you know having pascal siakam go into restricted free agency and him having you know be pissed off at you or maybe (laughs) even taking the qualifying offer just as a sort of vendetta move and then lose him for nothing the year following or do you give him the money now and go okay we know that he has a low cap hole that that we could have used next summer but hey we have a satisfied star and that's mm-hmm. most important. Like it, there are just nuances to this that I think are are necessary to include in all of this. But obviously, if if Siakam shows any signs of being willing to wait until summer, go for it. Wait yeah. until the summer because his cap hold was what? What do we figure out? Was seven, seven million? million? Yeah, yeah, which is just ridiculously low. So, if he's all aboard that plan, go for it. If not, sign him. Yeah, yeah. Because so his cap hold would be seven million. Based on the current projected salary cap of 116 million, again that may change. Who knows? But based on that projection, um, his max starting salary, I believe, is in the ballpark of like 29.5 million dollars. So, yeah, it's a 22 million plus difference um, in terms of keeping his cap hold, using your money elsewhere, and then resigning him versus just giving him the extension. Now, I was team wait. On a max, if he's willing to give you less than a max, I think it makes sense to do it. But otherwise, the cap hold thing definitely uh, factored into that thinking. But now that they signed Lowry to that extension, I would be more amenable to giving Siakam an extension now. Just because Lowry has wiped out $31 million of their cap space. They still have a ton, just because they have so many guys coming off the books. So... They could still get a max player next summer, but again, there aren't max players next summer. There, I mean, it's Anthony Davis, who is clearly going to resign with the Lakers, barring an absolute catastrophe. And then Siakam is probably the next best player in the free agent class. Yeah. So he's going to get a max most likely somewhere, unless he suffers 
you know, a catastrophic injury this season, or he just takes a big step back without Kawhi. Um, would I give him a five-year max? You know, I would have to hold my nose and pray. I would not give him the chance to turn that into a super max. I don't think. Um, but I mean, it's it's tricky. It's I wouldn't blame the Raptors if they do sign him because, as you said, this is not. NBA 2K. It's you know you can't you can't just, like on paper it makes sense to wait, but you do have to take the player's feelings into account. And if you wait and he's pissed off, then he could go sign an offer sheet with another team, and it could be exactly like that Gordon Hayward situation where you could have signed him to a five-year max, but instead he signs a three plus one offer sheet elsewhere. And now you've lost two years of team control over him. He can become an unrestricted free agent after his seventh season, at which point he'll be eligible for a higher max starting salary anyway. So there are reasons for you know guys coming off of their rookie scale deal. It sometimes makes sense to only want a three-year deal so you can get that next big contract right away. So right. you're right. There, there's a lot of things to balance here. It's not a no-brainer Yes, Max or no Max. Um, you know, like the Sixers and Ben Simmons were a no-brainer. Yes, Max. Nuggets and Jamal Murray, I don't think were a no-brainer, but they did it, and now because they did, that complicates the Siakam negotiations in these coming weeks too. Right, and and also like drafts. Uh, I mean, draft slot matters, right? I, yeah. I mean, Deontay Murray, who was drafted 29th this that same year in 2016. Also up for an extension, but missed last year with an ACL tear. Like it makes sense because he's not a clear-cut max guy like Siakam is. So you know you can go into restricted free agency with him, uh, you know, with a straight face, and mm. at the same time, you know, enjoy the fact that his cap hold is going to be extremely low. Right. Like for a guy like him, that makes sense because. You know, what kind of argument does he have if he goes to the Spurs right now and says, hey, Max, me? Well, you just missed a whole year, dude. Like, <laughs> right, right. There's just not that – you're just not sure what kind of player you're getting in that sense. So yeah. situations differ, and, and that's really the point of it. For sure. Yeah, and speaking of a team not knowing what they're going to get out of a player, Brandon Ingram with the New Orleans Pelicans is another really tricky – uh, extension decision at all. I I don't think a max is remotely in play here, but the question of whether or not to extend him at all is difficult. You know, they haven't, they'll see him in training camp in the preseason before they have to make a decision, but that's not an enormous sample size. Right. He missed the end of last season with the DVT. Um, knock on wood, he won't have it again. It sounds like hopefully should just be a one-time thing and it's not going to be like a Chris Bosh situation where it forces him to retire early. You know, fingers crossed that's the case, but that is something to consider. And I would assume if they did extend him, they would try to bake in some protections in the extension just in case another issue like that does pop up. Um, like in beats. Yeah, right, yeah. right. But, I mean, the bigger question is just how he fits in this new Pelicans hierarchy where you have Zion Williamson coming in, you still have Drew Holiday, you brought in Derek Favors and J.J. Redick, you also have these new rookies as well, you also brought in Lonzo Ball and Josh Hart. You have a lot of new pieces coming together, and you're just not sure how they're going to mesh. So 
Mort, if you're the Pelicans, are you willing to sign Ingram to an extension? And what would be your limit in terms of how much you would be willing to sign him for? Oh, I that's so difficult. I, I probably would be willing for the right number, mm-hmm. which you could really say about any player in the history of the league. Right? <laughs> right, right. I mean, I mean, this situation, like you said, if he agrees to giving a lot of protection to the Pelicans in terms of injury protection, you know, just basically an Embiid deal in that mm-hmm. sense. In, in how much of that was guaranteed? It wasn't a great amount. I don't remember the details. I think it was sure about you know. half guaranteed, but I just saw if he plays, I think it was like 1,650 minutes this season, the rest of it gets locked in. Okay. But, I mean, something along those lines, then I would be interested because of all the players you mentioned uh, you know, in New Orleans and new players and all that, none of them are really traditional threes. Mm-hmm. He is. Like, he is a legit wing. And yeah. in today's NBA, having a legit wing who can get you 18 points, five rebounds, and three assists a game while also gets to the line a ton, that's something. It's not nothing. What he needs to do is just hit more threes and take more threes. Let's start with that. And prove that he can play healthy because he's only had one fully healthy season. That was his rookie year, played 79 games. Otherwise, it's been 59 and then 52. So uh, there are absolutely some concerns there. I would rather go into uh, restricted free agency with him because I think teams are going to be a little bit scared off of that whole situation. I do think that that could benefit New Orleans. But if he comes out and has a killer year, that mm-hmm. mindset could change. And again, as we know, it it only takes one team, right? It always <laughs> right. just takes one team to you know see the stars in their eyes and go, oh yeah, oh yeah, this dude, he's like full max ready, like the yeah. next, right? Just one guy. <laughs> yeah. And so it really depends on the situation. If he has like a so-so year, I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind just having him in go into restricted free agency. But that's the thing; you have to make that decision upfront. You have to. You know, go into it blindly. Like this is right. this is one of those Andy Bailey blind stats polls on Twitter. You just <laughs> yeah. don't know. Um, yeah. So, if the number is reasonable, and you ask me what that number would be, mm-hmm. that's a good question. I, I I genuinely have no idea. What what should what do you think? Like twelve million a year? I so I think he would look at Levert. The he got the three year fifty two point five. Right. I would guess he would look at that as his floor. And huh. at that point, I would maybe be willing to match that. I don't know that I would go much higher. Yeah, no, I wouldn't go higher than that. Yeah. I wouldn't because he, here's the thing. Uh, with Levert, you know, his injuries were, you know, with bones and, and, and you know, angles and whatnot. This is this is more, I, I mean, when you have was a blood clot. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just so much more severe. Yeah. So even if you agree that only you know half of it theoretically would be guaranteed, it's it's still substantial amount of money you would have to pay him ultimately right. if it ends up going bad. Yeah, and and that was the problem with built. You know, the Pelicans when they built around Anthony Davis kept handing out bad money. And that's what ultimately hamstrung them. Like they had the Omer Ashik deal that really crippled their cap space for a long time. They need to avoid any potential landmines like that as they're entering this new era. 
you know, with the new GM. So you don't want to hold the past regime sins against David Griffin because right. so far what David Griffin has done has been a masterclass. You know, he's, he's done everything you could possibly do to get the Zion Williamson era off on the right foot. Um, but that said, I mean, I, I think you're right. The teams would possibly be scared off of Ingram uh, in restricted free agency. Just in general, teams are scared off uh, in restricted free agency unless there's a no-brainer max guy like, you know, Siakam potentially could be. Um, and because the free agent class is so crappy next year, and, you know, who knows, again, with the salary cap, where it's going to come in, but teams may decide, you know, knowing in 2021 that the likes of LeBron and Giannis and Blake Griffin and Paul George and Kawhi, all of those guys could become free agents, they may decide to save their bullets for that summer. Like, there might just not be many teams out there next year trying to land big fish. Now, right. maybe a young team like in Atlanta or a Memphis sees Brandon Ingram and says, you know what? We got cap space to burn. Why not? Like, let's bring in someone on the same timeline as our young guys and let's get them to continue to grow together. So that's a possibility. And as you said, a team like the Knicks is always lurking as a possible threat to throw a bloated offer sheet their way. Um, but yeah, I mean, can, can I, would, I just ask, would you be willing to trade Ingram to avoid this mess? Mm, that's interesting. I mean, it, it, much like you said, it depends on what price he gets. Like, it depends on what you could get back for him. I don't think it's totally unreasonable, but you did bring up a fair point that he's one of their only legitimate wings on the roster, and that's been a problem for years. Yeah. Yeah, like, you don't you don't switch Lonzo or Jars Hart up there. Like, you can't. No, no. It's like Etwan Moore is about it. Otherwise, because Darius Miller is now out with the, I think it was the Achilles he suffered, or ACL? Yeah. Uh, I think it was the Achilles. And I saw somewhere that listed each one more as a power forward. <laughs> oh, that's creative. Okay. Which you, I mean, yeah, but that just speaks to the larger issue, right? They really don't have those you know, long wing players. Right. Um, I, I think Ingram is probably one of the most difficult players to project right now. Yeah. Because his injury history is so specific. Like, had he not developed blood clots and had everything just been like, you know, an angle or an, you know, a wrist injury or whatever, something that you can look at and isolate and go, oh, okay, that's an isolated incident. That's that. That's just a freak thing. And I would feel a lot better going into negotiations and and say, you know what, we we want you long term. Mm-hmm. But I mean, you could look at it and you could look at Bosch, like you mentioned, like that's the situation that unfolded and now he's retired. Right. I mean. That is scary stuff, and yeah, and the I, Pelicans need to be aware of that. I and and they are, which is why they're not going to engage in contract <laughs> extension talk. I think. Right, um, right. I mean, even setting the the health stuff aside, I think just with so many new pieces coming in this off season, it almost may make sense to wait on an extension to see where Ingram fits in that hierarchy because. It's not like the Lakers last year where he was the clear number two or should have been the clear number two scoring option. Like They have right. Zion and Drew who are the clear two, one and two in some order. J.J. Reddick's going to get 15 either off the bench or in the starting lineup just as that shooter. Derek Favors is a very good, in terms of like per-minute production, yeah. a very potent scorer in his own right, and he's going to be playing center 
which is where he's better suited to play these days. So Ingram might fall a little bit in the pecking order. And, you know, for the Pelicans' perspective, you might use that to your advantage. Like, Ingram might have a great season, but his numbers might be less than they were in L.A. just because there are so many more mouths to feed. Yeah, so I agree with you on that on, you know, in theory. The thing is, agents are getting wiser. Mm-hmm. So they know that if the raw stats look down, but the advanced metrics look amazing, yeah. they'll point that out. That's true. That's very true. Yeah, I mean, I think you're right that Ingram is probably the trickiest of any player, um, just given the health concerns and him going to a new team where you know the other guys who we're going to discuss, their teams all at least know what they look like in that uniform. <laughs> So they have at least some sample size to draw upon, whereas Ingram and the Pelicans, it's like, all right, you get training camp and the preseason, and good luck. Right, exactly. So let's go into the guy who went right after Brandon Ingram in the 2016 draft class, Jalen Brown, who, according to Sean Devaney of Heavy.com, a league source told him that the chance is pretty slim that Brown signs a long-term deal. There's just not a huge history of Danny Ainge agreeing to extensions off of rookie-scale deals with guys in the past. So tends to be how he operates. He just doesn't... He, he lets players set their market in restricted free agency, and he either does or does not match. Um, but more, if, if you were Ainge and if you were willing to sign Jalen to an extension, where would be your limit for him? Hmm. So the thing about Brown is there is still the inconsistency factor. Mm-hmm. Like defensively, I think that's probably where he's most ready and most most accomplished. But even then, like you have games where he just really doesn't connect on that end. And offensively, that's that's the big swing. Um, I, I I'm not sure what you would pay him as of right now. I'm fully on board with waiting until the summer because I think he's one of those guys that's going into this year with you know prove it with yeah. a prove it mentality from from the from his team. You know you need to prove to us that you're a long term piece. I'm not sure that Brown is a you know a a fully fledged full time starter moving forward. I, I don't think he should. I don't think he's shown enough yet. Um, hey, I mean we saw last year he only started 25 games. Yeah. I mean so. Uh, I think that concern is is there again. I think ultimately he is going to start this year, but I mean Boston also lost a ton of talent, so <laughs> that may have been off necessity. But he doesn't project to be a a particularly good shooter, mm-hmm. um, and he's more of like an energy player, defensive minded guy, not particularly efficient. So th- that number is not going to be tremendous. Um, you know, you mentioned the Karis LeVert deal previously. Mm-hmm. That seems about fair because you know, while LeVert is a much better offensive player, Brown is significantly better defensively. So you can call them somewhat equal players just with different strengths. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, that's probably where I'm at. Uh, the thing is, though, and and that's what's interesting. Like, it wouldn't surprise me either that Brown comes out this season and just tears it up. Like, he may not right. ever be a forty percent knockdown shooter. And, and a guy who can shoot 85 from the line and all that, but he can be a game-changing defender who can put the ball on the floor, who can attack the rim and all that. But he can put it all together. Like, the package is there. 
mm-hmm. it's just about him doing it on a night-to-night basis. Yeah, so you're thinking somewhere in like the four-year, seventy to seventy-five million dollar range. Yeah, I I think that would be my max. Yeah, I'm right on board with that because yeah, I figured you know less than what Zach Levine got from well from the Kings and then the Bulls matched. Um, you know, again, this is all theoretical because it sounds like Brown and the Celtics aren't really even close to. Uh, a potential extension and it sounds like they're just not going to get there so you know Angel's going to let him test the market next summer whether that works out or not we will see Uh, I'm with you in thinking yeah this is a big prove it year for Brown because as you mentioned last year he got a demotion basically after you know helping to guide the Celtics within one game of the finals the previous year and part of that was because Brad Stevens was trying to get Gordon Hayward going. And he, you know, based on his level of play, you could argue that Brown should have been starting over Gordon throughout all of last year. But that, unfortunately, you know, it was a six starting caliber players, five starting spots problem, which they, the Celtics have this year as well, as we talked about in the Atlantic Division preview with, you know, Kemba's going to start, Tatum's going to start, Cantor's going to start because they need to center. Other than that, you have Marcus Smart, Gordon Hayward, Jalen Brown. One of those guys, by necessity, has to come off the bench. Uh, you and I agreed that it should be Smart coming off the bench, at least yeah. at the start of the season, and we'll see what happens from there. But, yeah, I mean, I, you know, if you're the Celtics, you want to see the version of Brown that came out in those 2017-18 playoffs where he and Tatum looked like you know, the future of the franchise, potential future multi-time all-stars. You don't want to see the guy who took a step back last year. And, you know, hopefully that was just the conflict with Kyrie might have had a really negative effect on Brown in particular. And if you're the Celtics, you're hoping Kemba just has such a positive effect in the locker room and on the court. He's willing to defer more to the young guys. And maybe that makes a huge difference. But yeah, I'm with you. I, I don't think Brown is consistent enough yet to get more than, you know, 470 sounds about right to me. But he's a guy where if he has a big year, you know, next summer I could definitely see him getting more than that. Yeah, like he's in a Jimmy Butler situation. Yeah. Like Jimmy Butler only came alive like in his fourth year. Like he declined a four-year contract extension uh, for $50 million. Mm-hmm. And then he turned it on and became an all-star, and he signed a max. Right. After his fourth year. Um, this is kind of the, the, the thing with, with Jalen, because he's got that same potential. Like, mm-hmm. it's right there. It's bubbling right under the surface. Like, there's no denying that he is fully capable of being a full-time starter and being, honestly, a star in this league. It's just a matter of, can he do it? So, uh, some players are just continuously at that point where they need to prove themselves mm-hmm. uh, during the during almost the entirety of their rookie contract. And those are the guys that are always so difficult to, to nail down because you know the potential is there and you kind of want to reward it, but you don't want to over-reward it because <laughs> right. then you might actually end up signing a, a contract that's just way too expensive. Yeah. Now you mentioned with Ingram, would you possibly trade him to avoid having to make this dis- decision next summer? What about Brown and the Celtics? No, I, I, no, not Brown because Brown, I think, is 
at least consistent in terms of showing up and being healthy. Like, he played 78, 70, and 74 games over the first three years. Like, he's reliable, he's dependable. There is a defensive baseline that I think will always be there, mm-hmm. and which I think is, is already very, very good. It just needs to be refined a little bit more, and he needs to figure out what type of offensive player he wants to become the defense i think is is really on the right path yeah so there's there is a baseline that i can count on and that is reliable yep i would agree with that isn't there with with ingram (laughs) at least not yet right right yeah i would not consider trading him barring you know a major major offer but this is not a sell low opportunity for the celtics like he and tatum still should be the future of that franchise and you know you, you even if you don't sign him to an extension now, and even if you end up paying more next summer than you would have this summer, that's fine. It's, you know. Well, how much more, though? Like, would you, if, let's assume that Brown has another year like he had last year. What's your max then? Probably, probably around the same. 470, 475. Yeah, yeah, but you know once, you know this, that a team is going to pay more. Would you match? It depends on how much more. Like, I would not match a max deal for Jalen Brown, either okay. this this fall or next summer. All right. Would you? No, I, I think I'm with you. I mean, yeah. I think it depends because they're, you know, a max is, you know, what's that for him, like $28 million yeah, starting? Yeah, I, I think it's the same as Siakam, so like 29.5. I think it's like oh, 29. four okay. years, 130, or five years, hundred a little less than 170. All right, but when it came, comes down to it, like, what's the major difference between twenty nine million a year and twenty five? Would you would you match it if it was twenty five million a year? Ugh, that depends on what he does this year. That's what I'm saying. If you yeah. if it's the same year that he oh, has. probably not. Right? Yeah. I think I I think if I'm desperate and I want to keep it, I top out at twenty. Yeah. Because that even with with the annual raises, that probably gets you close to four years ninety. That's, yeah, and I didn't even take account in, into. I, I mean, I I was looking at oh, it from four like years eighty average. Yeah, yeah. so four year eighty. I would probably go up to four years ninety, but at that point, yeah, you don't want to. You definitely do not want to trap yourself into an Andrew Wiggins type situation where you're like, right. this guy promised he'll improve. We'll give him a max. Exactly. Yeah. Another tricky one is Buddy Healed with the Sacramento Kings. Is he tricky? I thought it was so weird that you mentioned him in your outline. Like he's he's what? How is he tricky? I need I need to hear that from you. How how much would you give him? I think like obviously there should be both sides should want an extension, right? But the tricky thing is what's the number? I would have no problem with twenty or more. But no would you problem. do a max? I wouldn't necessarily take it off the table. I mean, th- look, I, I understand that he's older. I understand he's going to be 27 in December. Mm-hmm. But think about it this way. He's going to be in his prime for the next five years. Yeah. So whatever contract you lock him up with now, you're basically locking him in for the the best years of his career, mm-hmm. presumably. He's proven to be one of the most capable shot makers in the NBA, especially from, from long range. He isn't in any way an offensive liability. Like, he doesn't turn the ball over a ton. He shoots well from the line. He's not a liability on the glass. He can actually pass. Defensively, 
that's where it gets a little bit tricky. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I think he's gotten a bum rap. Like I don't think he is an extremely awful defender. I think he is pretty good at holding his own spot. Like he's strong. He's able to bump players out of rhythm, but he can't get toasted. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So there's an inconsistency factor offense uh, defensively that is is somewhat concerning but not to the point where i'm looking at it and going oh it it's completely negates the entire offensive production that he provides like i can always pencil him in for 20 22 points a game and shooting like 43 percent from deep like he yeah. opens the court for everyone else like could you imagine how much harder life would be for De'Aaron fox if buddy heel is not alongside him opening up the court i know like i'm I- not just paying for buddy healed i'm paying for the entire offense yeah, no, I, I get it. I mean, he was he shot 42.7% from three on 7.9 attempts per game. That's an extremely high volume. And he extremely... hit 278 threes. Yeah, no, the, the efficiency is great. Like you, you love to see the leap that he made from the previous season when he averaged 13.5 points. You know, shot well, but just didn't shoot as many threes. And then this past season, when he really, you know, he took 16.6 shots per game, averaged 20.7 points on them. Doesn't go to the line all that much. You'd like to see a little bit more of that. Only took 2.4 free throw attempts per game. And to your point about the defense, he was 81st or tied for 81st in DRPM, according to ESPN, uh, out of 110 shooting guards. So that is not great. Um, It's not. I would not give him a full max extension now. I think somewhere in the ballpark of like four years, a hundred million is where I would tentatively top out. Um, so you do the, the remaining four million a year. That's where you draw the line. Yeah, I mean that's it, okay. it adds up to you know thirty million over the course of the contract. Oh yeah, no, no, no I, I, I was being, I, I wasn't being facetious. Like yeah. it's, I just, yeah. I get well, it. I yeah. mean, that's that is a lot of money. I think twenty five million a year is 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 a is a okay deal. I mean, there is the risk of it becoming a little bit inf- you know in, inflated, but I just I, when I look at Heel and the, the way that he plays, and he's not on the ball a whole lot. Like he moves a lot without it. He's essentially always in motion. He keeps. Defense is honest in that sense. Like you, you gotta stay with him, otherwise it's just game over. Mm-hmm. That just opens up so much for everyone else, and that's that's why shooters are so valuable. It's not necessarily the singular aspects of what they can provide. I, I mean, so let's assume that he that you lose him because you don't want to go max, right? Mm-hmm. Then what? No, like, yeah. How big a step down do the Kings go because you lose a guy who was you know? locked in for at least a quarter of a thousand threes per year at right. high efficiency. Like, right. No, I, I think next summer, if he got a max, then you revisit that discussion, but you don't necessarily have to max him this fall. Like right. you, you right. try to find a middle ground that makes sense for both sides. And if you can't, then you see what happens with him this season. If he has another year, like he did this past year, then yeah, he's probably getting a max. And you know, to your point, the Kings aren't a free agent destination. They're going to have to overpay pretty much regardless of whether they're bringing in a free agent or retaining one of their own. 
So oh yeah. yeah, we saw that this summer because Corey Joseph got thirty-seven million. Right, exactly. And Dwayne Dedman, everyone's favorite MLE target, got three years, forty million from them. Well, to be fair, he would have. I mean, that's a deal I think was in play for most teams. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. The I, Emily was always dumb. About, but I, know. I, I, I agree with you. Like, and what yeah. Trevor Reese got twenty five million, yeah. and then Harrison Barnes eighty five. Yeah, I mean, if you're willing to put up eighty five million for Harrison Barnes, right. I just don't see a problem <laughs> in that sense. <laughs> yeah, with, Max for Buddy Hill. That's like, fair. That's fair. No, and, and I mean, you're right. The Kings are riding. I think it's a thirteen year playoff drought now. You know, they just had their best season in over a decade. Even if they don't make the playoffs this year, the West is ridiculously deep as usual. But they don't want to take a step back. There's no, right. and they like this is the most promise they've had coming into a season in a long, long time. Like since George W. Bush was president. So, <laughs> so they, regardless of whether they give Heald an extension now or they just match whatever offer she he gets next summer. I don't think there's any risk of him not being a Sacramento King come the 2020-2021 season. It's just a matter of can you find that middle ground now or do you allow him to test restricted free agency? But, you know, again, to your point, if they do, he's going to be one of the best free agents out there. And he very well might get a max despite his age because you're right. Like, you're getting him in his prime. He doesn't have the ceiling for growth that you typically see uh, for a guy coming off of his rookie scale deal just because he's so much older. But there's something to be said about a 20-point-per-game scorer who can shoot 43% from deep. That is an extremely valuable player. Yeah, and I mean, look, I get that the age factor that we brought up already does relate to his potential, mm-hmm. but he made a significant jump last year in for terms sure. of volume and efficiency. So, I, I, I mean, there's nothing to suggest... That he can't refine his game even more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At which point I would feel a lot more comfortable handing him more money. Right. For sure. For sure. I think one of the last, you know, the guys who I think are realistic uh, extension candidates, we'll get into a couple others as well, but Domantas Sabonis in Indiana. Yeah. Um, Again, we talked about this during the Central preview, so it really comes down to how much you believe in the Sabonis-Miles Turner pairing. And if you think that combination can work, and it looked really good in that first preseason game, so you know, promising steps already. Um, if you think that that duo is viable, you're probably extending him. If you want to see more out of him and see how he fits with Turner in a bigger sample size, you're not extending him. But... More, if you are taking over the Pacers for a day and you're trying to negotiate an extension with Sabonis, where do you land on uh, where, where's your upper level here? I mean, look, th- there's no doubt that this guy is insanely productive. We talked about him all of last year. Mm-hmm. And he's also proven to just get so much better from year to year. I mean, look, for in, in a two-year difference, he jumped almost 20 percentage points on his field goal percentage. Mm-hmm. That's that's amazing, and his his raw stats went with it. Like he's extremely productive on a permanent basis, and he's only twenty three. Defensively, he's not great because he doesn't have a long reach, and he's not you know quick footed. So that's where the limitation comes in. Mm-hmm. A Buddy Heel type contract of the one we constructed earlier. Mm-hmm. I mean, 
I would I would love that. But there's also the element of big men not getting as much money anymore because they're just apparently not that valuable. (laughs) Um, Now, I personally don't necessarily agree with all that. I think there were some some gems this year. I mean, Rashawn holds for five year, five million a year, ironically, with the Kings. Mm-hmm. I think that's a great deal. I think that he could easily be much, worth much more than that. Um, but a guy like Sabonis who can pass, rebound, score efficiently as well, get to the line, and just produce in whatever manner, I think he, that's just so crucial, man. So I, my highest point there would probably be 20 a year, mm-hmm. and a more realistic thing would be somewhere in the 17, 18 million range. Somewhere around Jonas Valanciunas, I think. Yeah. Well, you know, um, Miles Turner signed the four-year $80 million extension last year with $72 million guaranteed. So I'm mm-hmm. guessing that gives them, gives both sides a baseline to negotiate this thing. I, you know, I don't think the Pacers would want to go much higher than that, if at all. And I don't think Sabonis would want to go much lower than that, if at all. So, yeah, somewhere in that four-year, seventy to eighty million dollar range. If you're going into the higher end, if you're going to that eighty million, you're probably going to try to bake in some bonuses, much like Turner. So you, you know it's not fully guaranteed, right? Um, and again, it just comes down to how much you believe in that pairing moving forward. If you think they're a viable combination together, then yeah, you're probably extending him. And if if you want, you know, I wouldn't blame the Pacers for wanting to see more out of them. Because I, I think they only played like five or 600 minutes together last year. So we really don't have an enormous sample size. And now you bring in all these new pieces this summer, Malcolm Brogdon, Jeremy Lamb, TJ Warren. You still don't know what Victor Oladipo is coming back or what he's going to look like when he comes back. There's a lot of uncertainty hanging over this Pacers team you know, right. for, for a team that went, you know, made it to the playoffs, won 40, I believe, 48 games last year. Probably could have made it even further had Oladipo not gotten hurt. Like, there's a lot to like about this Pacers team, um, and a lot for them to feel good about moving forward. But you know, now you have Oladipo signed to a. I think he's like at least got a year or two left on his deal. You have Turner signed to a multi-year deal. You have Brogdon signed to a multi-year deal. Mm-hmm. If you lock in on Sabonis too, that is your core moving forward. How good do you feel about that? How high is your ceiling? That's a playoff team for sure, but. Are they challenging Milwaukee, Philly, Brooklyn once Kevin Durant comes back? I don't they know. They could be. Yeah. They could be. It's I possible. mean, look, because here's the thing. They're not a finished product. There are a lot of, you know, young young players on that squad. Like, Victor Oladipo is probably closer to being where he should be uh, in his prime. But Malcolm Brockton still got some years to go. Mm-hmm. Sabonis as well. Oh, wait a second. Brockton is like what 26 27 yeah he's old too yeah he is he actually is but Sabonis is 23 mm-hmm. you know um I think is right there but you're right that is a core that's very primish because what Lamb is 26 TJ mm-hmm. Warren 25 26 as well yeah somewhere oh, yeah there. you're right so actually it's only Sabonis and Miles Turner you really look at at as as you know pieces who need to develop uh further the thing is this is where I'm I mean, this is my perspective here. So Sabonis and Turner, I kind of look at those guys as they need each other. Because Sabonis, while not being a great defensive presence, does all the things that Turner really does. Like he play makes. 
He is aggressive when it comes to scoring the ball. Like he, he's actively a shot taker, and he's he, he he's forcing the issue. Whereas mm-hmm. Turner is more laid back, but a great defender who can cover, you know, basically the entire court whenever it's within fifteen feet. So, I mean, whoever you choose, if you are forced to choose, there, it's going to come with severe consequences. Right, for sure. Yeah. I- if, it wouldn't surprise me if the Pacers don't sign him to an extension and let him test the market, but once they made all their signings this summer, I know they said they were making a Sabonis extension a priority, so I also wouldn't be surprised to see him get a deal. I just don't think it's going to be... I think that Miles Turner deal is a nice blueprint for what he should expect. Like If, he, if he's thinking anywhere near a max, Pacers should absolutely say, all right, <laughs> prove it this year, and then go test restricted free agency where you're definitely not getting that offer. I can tell you something about Sabonis, and, and this is not me reporting anything. This is I, I have a friend who knows a lot about European basketball and who's, who's got some connections. Mm-hmm. And you know he said he's heard. So this is like he heard something provided to me. and like So this is second or third hand. Um, but basically, Sabonis is on the radar at Barcelona. Like they really? signed Nico, yeah, they signed Nico and Alex Abrinas. Like Barcelona wants to be a European powerhouse, huh. like major powerhouse. Wow. Um, and they, I mean, look, they managed in getting Nico there, and Nico was looking at what a deal in the twelve million dollar range annually in the NBA. At I least. thought it was like three years, forty five from Utah, right? Something like that. Oh yeah, something like that. It, it, that's even better. So, I mean, I'm not saying that's gonna happen, but mm-hmm. that would be a fun wrinkle. Like mm. if if Sabonis goes to FC Barcelona, that would be oh man, that would be wild. That would be an NBA team. Like let's yeah. let's be real, that would be an NBA team in Spain. Yeah, that'd be really interesting. There you go, another thing for the Pacers to consider in these extension discussions. Uh, we're, let's wrap up. We're not going to go through every single player in the draft class because you know if we didn't hit on these guys, like Dragon Bender is not getting an extension. Chris Dunn, who the Bulls tried to push away all summer is not getting an extension um there are a couple other names that we want to touch on briefly one is baldwin here let's go (laughs) yeah right one is malik beasley in denver um if you're denver would you entertain the idea of an extension where would you go with him they already did they Mm -hmm. offered him three year and 30 million and he declined would you go any higher yes (laughs) (laughs) i would um I but here's the thing. I really like Malik Beasley. Yeah. Uh, I I am incredibly high on Malik Beasley. I I think ultimately what it comes down to there is what happens with Will Barton. Mm-hmm. If Will Barton has a, another year like last year, he's clearly not going to be the long term answer at the three. Mm-hmm. You could argue that Michael Porter Jr. is going to be the small forward then moving forward, but at six ten and with back issues and all that, I think it would be probably more beneficial to put him at the four. So I think you need a sort of 2-3 combo guard or wing who can play the three, and that's beastly. He can stretch the floor. He's an aggressive scorer. He's very athletic as well. So I wouldn't necessarily hate the idea of going fairly high when it comes to beastly, Hmm. but then you would also have to make a decision because if Will Barton bounces back, then he's a better all-around player Mm -hmm. and, and not like the aggressive shot taker that Beasley is. But ultimately, I love his talent, and I think it would behoove Denver to keep him. Um, 
and find just basically find an argument and find a way to keep him, even yeah. if it comes at at the expense of others. Yeah, I think you're right. That hinges on Barton, um, but I also think you know Jeremy Grant is a unrestricted free agent next summer. They're just going to have a lot of money tied up. Yeah. You know, Jamal Murray's extension kicks in next year. Jokic's extension starts this year. Gary Harris is also on his extension. So, you know, you've got those three guys locked up to long-term deals already. If Grant is as good in Denver as we think he's going to be, he's going to get a bit significant raise. He's making $9.3 million this year. You can almost assume that will probably close to double, if not more. Um, Michael Porter Jr. still got some time left on his rookie deal, so that's not a huge concern. But, you know, Monte Morris only has two years left on his deal as well. So, just a lot of names to juggle, a lot of pieces to sort out there. But yeah, I mean, I would agree that I would be willing to go a little higher that than that for Beasley. But otherwise, I think you just let them test test the market oh, yeah. next summer and see. I mean, I'm not advocating 20 million a year. Here. Yeah, 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 yeah. But if a team out there next summer and some team will, you know, let's say four years, 60, so 15 million on average. Mm-hmm. Like I get it for Denver specifically, that would be steep. Yeah, but I I probably do it. I mean, look at his age. He's he's tw- okay. He's gonna be twenty three in November. But even so, he's very young. He's a, a dynamic shooter. And again, you need shooting. You need so much shooting. And he shot forty percent from three last year on extremely high volume. Like he launched five a game in twenty three minutes. Like mm-hmm. that that is that is Buddy Heald esque. To be honest with you, just in a lower role, right, uh, or a lesser role. So if he's given the minutes. And you can space the floor for Murray and Harris and Jokic and and, and Michael Porter Jr. Like that is an extremely potent offensive unit. I know it is already, but my goodness. Yeah. And another factor is, I mean, we've been saying Denver is due for a consolidation trade. If Gary Harris is involved in said consolidation trade, suddenly you have a hole at the two guard spot, and Malik Beasley could potentially fill that hole. So. Oh, for sure. Yeah. You know, you could you could always sign him either with the intention of flipping him later, flipping Will Barton later, or flipping Gary Harris if you know if he has a bounce back year and all of a sudden he's attracting significant interest. So, yeah, I, I think there's value in retaining Malik Beasley either way. It's just can you find that number this fall versus next summer? I would I would guess it's going to be next summer. But here's my hot take though. Okay. I don't think Denver is the team that's going to be making that call. I think it's Washington. Ooh. Because you think for Bradley Beal? Yeah. So who would they prefer, Beasley or Harris, basically? Uh, I think it's going to be a, a, a situation of multiple players. I yeah. think like the consolidation trade, I wouldn't be surprised if, if both Gary Harris and Malik Beasley goes in. Yeah, that's that true. deal. Like the, the parameters, obviously, I mean... We have no idea, yeah, but yeah. I have to assume that if if Washington is giving up Beal, they are absolutely asking for Malik Beasley back. Yeah, and Har- I mean Harris would almost have to be involved just to match yeah, salaries. Yeah, tr- yeah, and and you're probably also looking at what Michael Porter Jr. and maybe Monte Morris or something. Yeah, that's, and then like I would that would probably match salaries as is, but maybe, if not, you could throw in Will Barton just for just yeah. for salary matching purposes. Yeah. But, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if, like, like you said, I mean, look, TJ McBride has been on the podcast several times, mm-hmm. good good friend of the podcast, even though he, he ruled incorrectly in our <laughs> in our all-time draft. Right. Uh, <laughs> and on Jokic uh, versus Embiid. 
wrong opinions everywhere. <laughs> um, I, I mean, he, he's he's brought it up numerous times, like the consolidation trade, how, yeah. how important that is for, for Denver. And, and this is probably the year to do it, especially if you look at Bradley Beal. I mean, he was all in on the Bradley Beal acquisition as well. So Right. Yeah, that that it's, just comes down to Washington waking up and realizing he right. gone, but they have yet to reach that point. Yeah, but it, it's it's interesting because, and this is a side note. This is not even talking about Beasley, but I mean, when you look at that roster, you know, in Denver, you could even argue they could make two consolidation trades. Yeah, if you they right. could get Bradley Beal and Aaron Gordon. Oh my God, that'd I'm be, just saying that would be impressive. Yeah. Um. Let's talk about two Spurs briefly. One, DeJounte Murray, who is coming off of the torn ACL. You mentioned him earlier. Yeah. I feel like it's probably just you want to see how he comes back from that. I mean, he's probably going to get a decent payday next summer if he's as good as we think he's going to be. But that uncertainty probably knocks out the possibility of an extension. You agree? I would. And also, like I mentioned before, like that cap hold is going to be so low. Very well, yeah. So that's that's a tremendous asset for them. But for sure. if they then you know decide to spend it on a, a bunch more veterans or try for another Morris twin, I mean, just don't. <laughs> or a Demar Derozan extension. Yeah, I, I, I'm not. I'm not behind that. I know. I know Dave DeFore, who we had on, mm-hmm. uh, was for it, but I'm not there. Yeah, I'm really not. The other guy who is up, Jakob Pertl. Yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, look, I actually like Jakob Pertl. Yeah. Uh, I think he was really discovering something in his second year in Toronto, mm-hmm. and, and and then he, you know, he was a part time starter last year in San Antonio. I, I think he needs to just do a little bit more. Yep. He's. I, I don't. I don't want to say he's stagnated because I think he looked better defensively last year. I think he looked better. On the glass, like he looked more of a, like a traditional center, mm-hmm. but then you also have to ask the question: Does does he have to be a traditional center? Because in that case, like, what's the point? Right. Yeah, I I, I agree that he just you need to see more out of him before you find a deal that's going to make. Unless he's just willing to take a total bargain, but yeah, yeah, I, I would guess it's going to be hard to find a price point that makes sense for both sides. So let's end on. Well, I guess Dario Saric is another guy. He was not in the 2016 draft class. He was actually 2014, but because he did come over, despite all of Philly media saying he was never coming over, uh, he came (laughs) over two years later, so he is now part of this class. But because he's in Phoenix, and it's a similar thing with Brandon Ingram, minus the health concerns, but they have yet to see very much out of him. You know, training camp preseason, that's it. I'm guessing they're going to wait on him for next summer as well. I, I probably would. Yeah. So I then, mean, he. Ha- I, I would say this: if I would have felt more confident if he had duplicated what he did in his second year mm-hmm. last year. Yeah. Um, he was just very sad all of last year. I think you like literally sad. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, like he did not I, I, want to go to Minnesota, and you could see it on his face for the entire season. Yeah. Like uh, I mean, he, his statistical decline was significant yeah and also i mean to some extent here, here's the thing about Sarge, right like i don't think he's ever been used accurately i'm not saying philly necessarily used him wrong but no, i don't I'm, think I philly 
realized like the full extent of what he can do. Like this dude can handle the ball. He can initiate yeah. the offense. Like there's there's an Hito Turkoglu element to him that has not been explored yet. Yeah, I think he was a not perfect fit next to Simmons and Embiid, so you were never really going to get the most out of him in Philly. Right. Whereas, yeah, I mean, I, I agree. He's a great player. Like he's, I'm not saying he deserves to be out of the NBA at any point. I love him, and I hope he, I hope he finds happiness in Phoenix that he did not in Minnesota. It was like genuinely heartbreaking to see him last year because you could just tell he was miserable and like he couldn't find his groove on the court, and that seemed to translate to his mood off the court it sucked so hopefully he he finds his stride in minnesota or in in, a, in phoenix and yeah. you know he gets a lot of money next summer but i just don't think the sam- they don't have a sample size to base this off of so i don't think there's going to be a deal uh to reach this fall the one other guy who is in a oh, similar let me just wrap on sorry oh, okay so. yeah, just yeah one quick note like, this was the guy I wanted in Sacramento instead of them keeping Harrison Barnes. Yeah. Oh, that would have been nice. That would have been lovely, right? Yeah. Well, since you mentioned Sacramento, let's end on them because Buddy Heald is not the only restricted free agent they have next summer. Bogdan Bogdanovich as well. I mean, uh, my heart says give him whatever. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Uh, no, I... I Bogdan is a, is a is a fun case because he's he's extremely potent offensively mm-hmm. as well, and he, and he can he can get whatever mid range shot he wants, which I know mid range shot yada yada, but he can get it whenever he wants. He has that capability, and I I think just from an offensive standpoint, he's brilliant. It's just the way that he you know plays off of screens and moves off the ball and all that like. His numbers, raw numbers at least, are never going to wow you mm-hmm. in any way. Mm-hmm. But he's just such a crucial opponent uh, component in a winning team. Um, he doesn't need a whole lot of plays called for him. He can do so much just by being on the basketball court. And he's, I, I think he needs to be utilized as well just a little bit better. I, I'm not saying he's like Sarge where everything can run through him, like the mm-hmm. entire offense. But I do think you can give him the ball in his hands a little bit more and actually expect positive production. So in in regards to what he can be and what he is, I I wouldn't mind seeing him get like a fair like a, a fair bit more than people might expect. So mo- most people probably peg him in as like twelve million, thirteen million a year. I would go higher. Yeah. I I think it comes down to whether they do you think they have to decide between Heald and Bogdanovich? Or do you think there's room for both of them? Oh, there, I mean, in terms of room, like money-wise? Well, I mean, they, they can go over the cap to re-sign both, but... Right. Yeah. So, oh, you mean on the court? Well, just in their long-term cap picture. Because, like, yes, yeah. you, you can yeah. re-sign both of them. Is it prudent to do so? Yeah, 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 absolutely. I mean, their game mesh. So, mm-hmm. um I mean, again, we already talked about heel, but given just how fantastic of a shooter he is and how he can play so much off the ball, and you have Bogdanovich who can also play off the ball, but as well, you know, be on it as a creator, uh, I, that should fit pretty well. Yeah, and <laughs> he and Heels are basically the same age. He's 27. He turned 27 in mid-August, so he's only a couple months older than Buddy Heel. Yeah. yeah, prime but, brothers. Yeah, yeah, but I agree with you. I would... I don't know that he'll sign an extension this fall, but I would 
if I'm the Kings, I would definitely try to keep him over, say, Trevor Ariza, who is mostly non-guaranteed next summer. Like, if it if the choice is between Ariza and Bogdanovich, there's a very easy answer here. It is not Trevor Ariza. Right. I mean, honestly, I think in today's NBA, especially with the, the financial structures, like I think the questions of can these players like can you can you can you pair them and and can you live with the finances like yeah if if two players are just adding value to the basketball team and the basketball court mm-hmm. regardless if they overlap position wise yeah like you can figure it out yeah. the NBA is becoming so empty of positions anyway like you can figure something out right. like there are forty eight minutes in a, in a game. You can stack or you can play someone just one position down or up. Like there's so many possibilities now. Yeah. You can move, you know, a, a third guy to create more, you know, more minutes or whatever. I mean, just find the most effective players, the ones who <laughs> affect the NBA game most, right. and then go from there. I yeah. Mean, and, and much like we said with Heels, again, the Kings aren't going to want to take a step back. Right. Like it, it's imperative for them to retain talent by any means necessary. So, I hope Bogdanovich is in there, is, is in Sacramento beyond twenty twenty. But yeah, I would not be in any rush. I mean, sure, maybe they're not going to extend him this summer. I would not be in any, in any rush to get rid of him entirely. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. Well, that is a good place to wrap up. Hopefully, by the time this comes out. It's not rendered completely irrelevant. Like, hopefully guys don't sign extensions uh, or at least give us a couple days. But I'm guessing, if anything, it'll come closer to the October 21st deadline. So as you're watching preseason and as you're watching these 2016 draftees or in Saric and Bogdanovich's case, international players who came over in 2016, or I guess Bogdanovich came over a year later even, uh, Keep in mind that all of them are playing for a lot of money in the next week or two. Um, It's definitely a subplot to consider as the preseason really gets underway in these coming days. In the meantime, please follow us on Twitter at the NBA pod. You can find our Twitter handles in our bio. So give us a follow as well. You can also find us on iTunes and wherever else podcasts are found on iTunes. Please subscribe, download, leave some five-star reviews are now being hosted by Spreaker. So check them out on Twitter at Spreaker. Until next time, I'm Brian Toporek, and I was joined, as always, by Morton Jensen. Have a good one, Mort. You too, man. Take care.